Welcome to episode 37 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my distant co-hosts, Eddie Kramer and Chris Lee. We're hobby machinists, and we would like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. How is it going tonight, gentlemen? Going great. You? Uh, can't complain. Chris, how are you doing? Uh, getting uh, Recovering from a little bit nasty cold that I got last week, but uh, doing much better today. Does sound like you're uh, you're recovering. Did that uh impact your your productivity at all this this past week? <laughs> it destroyed my productivity. I was I was basically in bed the whole time. I I couldn't even get up. It was pretty nasty. I spent the whole Thanksgiving uh, break just in bed with you, medicine. <laughs> you mean you didn't pull over the uh, the laptop and start doing uh, CAD modeling in your uh, sickened state? <laughs> I tried. I, I just, I felt so terrible. I, I couldn't even get up and stuff. So that kind of delayed my 25 part a little bit. Well, that is, uh, that is one of our topics for tonight. So uh, good segue. Um, Eddie, you too are also working on a Johnny five part. We all are. So uh, why don't you, uh, why don't we all fill each other in on what we're working on and uh, how we're progressing? So uh, I don't have much to say cause I'm still working on mine, but I have um what looks deceptively easy, <laughs> a Delrin part. It's It says it's a Johnny Five neck part, but other than that, I'm not sure what the function is. It almost looks like a stepper motor mount, but um, the shaft, like a hole through a shaft to go through it. But it's fairly easy. Uh, it's all sides machined. So I'm using uh, the pocket and C to do it. The only, like the real challenge I'm having with it, it's got a long center bore, which is longer than any of the tools I have here. So I'm still just trying to see if I can get an accurate uh, bore machining it from both sides and trying to figure out if I can get a good fixture to kind of make sure it aligns when I flip it over. Yeah. What's the uh, longest reach tool you have over there? 1.125. There you go. Um, yeah, so I have like, I think the longest tool is I have a melon tool. It's a quarter inch single flute. It's just a little bit over one inch. And I can only run that on the V210. Um, uh, yeah, I take that back. I have uh, I have some long reach Harvey, long reach tools that are one sixteenth diameter that go the same. So I, I usually have bad luck with those. That's not <laughs> fun to run all the way out. Yeah, but you know... It is Delrin, so hmm, I may actually give that a try. Uh, don't. I tried it. It's, it doesn't work. I, I tried to do like a 1.75 inch stick out. I was trying to do like 10 thou passes in depth, and it was just chattering like crazy. And it, it actually would catch, and it would like get really violent, and I had to stop it. Yeah, I've seen I've had that happen in aluminum. It's just it's kind of a, once it starts, it just gets worse it's get, very quickly. Yeah. I was hoping because it was Delrin, it, it'd be all right, but it, it did not like it one bit. <laughs> the neat thing for me is I've been using the V210. It's been a while since I've used that. Um, and so I'm kind of moving the part back and forth between the V... Oh, I was using like the V250 to prep the stock and uh, kind of get it squared up because it's fast. And then uh, still kind of experimenting with that, that center feature. So I hope to have it done. I was hoping to have it done today, but... Uh, I was actually end up being out of the house most of the day, so I'm going to try it again tomorrow. How about you, Chris? What are you building? So um, I don't know what my actual part is for, but I'll, the title's super long. It's a mid-torso laser toolbox horizontal support section clamp block. And I, try, I, try, I tried to find out what this was, and I, I could not figure it out. But um, it, for me, it ended up being like a three op on on different machines because I couldn't figure out a way to bore. I have a deep hole like yours, one point seven two five inch deep, and then I have a one inch fifty thou like bore that has to be pretty accurate going through the center of it. So what I ended up doing was uh, putting the block on a bridge port to square it up. <clears throat> I drilled a one inch hole, got a boring bar, brought it to one inch fifty. And then took that onto the pocket NC where I had an expanding mandrel set up, uh, put the block in, clamp it down, and that's kind of how I'm going from there. The pocket NC ends up doing the rest of the machining, so all, all five sides are being machined um, on that. And then when I'm done, I'm going to have to take it out and then do the, the long 1.725 inch bore probably back on a bridge port again, just because I don't have anything <clears throat> that can reach that deep without shattering like crazy. 
uh, on the pocket and see um you know dan from dantron hooked me up with some tools and stuff and i did some tests and it just uh it, it didn't work out very good so i'm gonna have to do it the old-fashioned way you mean tools like long reaches i wasn't sure if datron had anything in that uh category he he sent me some like 65 millimeter long three mil diameter end mills to try single flute so um i was trying to do like some crazy peck drilling stuff where <clears throat> i got like a circle and then i did uh uh three mil diameter circles with a tangent to that circle. So it's inside and I had like 24 points and I was going to do like drill pecking at like five thou depths and try to get all the way through. But it, it was like, it kind of bounced around a little bit and it sounded kind of weird. And I didn't want to wait like 17 hours for it to finish that, um, that 0.725 that I needed for it. So I'm just going to take an end mill and just pound it through with the bridge port in like, like a minute or two and be done. Yeah. Have, have you thought of just using a drill press? <laughs> <laughs> that one feature yeah i mean we don't i don't know if they have a drill press at work i haven't seen one but yeah i'll just throw it on the bridge short and do it on that to finish it yeah. off yeah i think that's i might end up doing the same strategy if i can get that center board done and i'm happy with the accuracy all the rest of it's easy to do and then i can use the that board to do uh id clamping on the chuck it's like make everything else it's that one side like the bottom side i gotta get that done um and then do everything else kind of in one up everything was like yeah it, everything's relatively easy per se theoretically but it's not so easy when you're trying to do it on like a pocket nc or something like that just because you have so many other restrictions that normal machines don't have um so it, it's been challenging just to figure out how to do it on this machine if i would have had access to uh, a vmc this would have been no problem at all yes hey um so winston what's so the shape Oko can take up to eight millimeter shank tooling, right? Um, is... Yes, in in theory, you can get one of those. Um, I think it's a five sixteenths inch, um, basically just a collet where like the back half is just blown out and it's just like a little donut of metal um, that goes in the conical tapered section of the uh, chuck, and uh, it it's a little sketchy. But I mean, Vince has run uh, slightly larger tooling. I think eight millimeter is the largest custom collet you can get for it. Oh, you know that that weird donut one. That I think that's three eighths. But um, eight mil is the pro the largest standard looking collet you can get. Yeah, I think like the shape of probably of all the machines I have probably has the most Z reach. You know, because I can run a larger diameter tool in there and potentially uh, have enough Z clearance to actually get through a part like this. I don't know if you go two inches. But... With the um, HDZ, it's 140 millimeters of Z travel. So whatever the longest tool you can stick in there, it should still clear the part. Yeah, I did not take advantage of that Black Friday special. <laughs> I was tempted. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I redirected that money towards an orange vice for the Neo. So I got my first vice. Well, other than the Lang that ships with it. Um, so I end up getting that Delta, their orange Delta four compact vice. That's kind of where my Black Friday spending went. Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> hey, did you two have um, any tolerances associated with your Johnny Five parts? Oh, okay. uh, I did on my inner bore, the one inch 50 thou, it had to be plus minus or two within two thou. And then everything else was like five thou, so nothing crazy. Yeah, same here. I, I had one uh, the ID on on one end one end of the bore. It's kind of got a counter bore on it, so I think there's like a bearing that's going to be going in there. So uh, that one was the only tight tolerance. It wasn't bad. I think it was a thou. Man, listening to to you guys talk about your your struggles with uh, uh, deep milling, it, I kind of feel like I got lucky because um, my did. part was. <laughs> It was a little larger than I would have liked, but it ended up being less or having having fewer complications than uh, what you guys are going through. Yeah, like I would have, because you know your part would have been I would have been totally happy with because I could have just did what you did, throw everything on there and just let it do its thing. But man, like having to, I, I had to this is turned into like a three op thing with like uh, custom fixturing and like all sorts of crazy stuff just because I wanted to do it on the pocket and see. 
Yeah, you made your life more difficult. Um, for the fourth chair, our viewer, um, my Johnny Five part was a finger segment for uh, Johnny Five's thumb. So it's basically, uh, if you took like a, a U-channel of aluminum and uh, machined it to a certain shape, that's basically what it is. If I had to guess, the original part was probably bent sheet metal, um, having not looked too closely at the movie, but that's how I would make the part. Um, but it was about three, I think three and a half inches long. Um, so it was too tall to um, stand axially aligned with the B-axis. Um, so I had to just basically put it on its side and uh, uh, machine through the the slot in it, the, the channel, which was a little over an inch deep. So that was the only complication I had, but um, thanks to Chris, I got a custom ground single flute end mill with a relieved shank, basically just destroying a, a standard 278Z uh, single flute from uh, Carbide 3D. Um, and that gave me... Um, enough clearance without any risk of shank rubbing to mill down to that depth. Um, so yeah, from a, a complexity standpoint, um, doing it on the pocket NC was basically just uh, bolt a block of stock onto my custom low profile uh, fixed ring solution and then uh, using my long reach tooling to, to carve out that channel and machine in the holes to the side and a couple slots and uh, counter sinks. But um, that was after I had already done it on the Shape Oco because I had a couple, couple minor issues that Pocket NC fixed for me with my uh, five-axis steel. So I made two finger segments first on a three-axis machine, and that involved, I think, seven setups. Um, just because basically every face has to be machined, so you have to reorient the part every single time. And I was just work holding this in a vise as I went along. Hopefully the video will be out, I want to say, next week. But uh, yeah, it, it's still, it was tedious, but it clearly doesn't have the same level of a uh, headache potential that your parts have. Yeah, I'm glad the, the relief end mills worked out. I think it took off more than a couple thou. But uh, honestly, it's perfect because there is a little bit of run out on the Shapeoko, uh, the router. Um, it may not be perfectly trammed, so if the end mill's at a tilt, one side is still going to rub. Um, so that just, it gives you a, a lot of extra room to play with, um, and I didn't have any worries or concerns about uh, um, any shank rubbing, or chips getting sucked between the, the end mill shaft and the walls, because I've had that happen a couple times, and it sort of just smears against the wall, and it, it's pretty ugly. I had that happen tonight, actually. I had to go in there and, and pick it out. I found myself really wishing I had my Neo this week. Do you, do you have any ETA on that? Last update I got from them was when I was in New Hampshire. So they were saying December, January, which I, I have a feeling it's going to be closer to January because of the lead time to make the single phase power supply. And I think it's like eight week lead time, so... I guess it wouldn't really help you to get it sooner because I guess getting a rigger electrician and everything out you need out there on the holidays would be a little difficult. I think it's coming from California, so at least that's better than coming from New Hampshire in January. <laughs> yeah, I'm just getting there. So I've been kind of working on um, like all the little first first parts I'm going to be making on it to mount the vise and or the two vices that I'll have and uh, the... Uh, Free jaw chuck. I want to be able to mount them on the machine bed to use for three axis configuration. So that's been kind of fun. Keeping busy. And then I have a training next week. So um, I don't know if I mentioned that in the last podcast, but I'm going to Zanesville to do some Saunders machine works training, fusion and work holding, the advanced work holding class. So that's going to be fun. I am curious to see what lessons you bring back and share with us, since unfortunately I don't think either of us can go. They do that one fairly regularly, so uh, pretty much all you want to learn about Mighty Bites <laughs> and everything else, <laughs> talon grips, all that stuff. That's cool. I'm looking forward to hearing your story about that. So that's pretty much it on the Neo. Hopefully, uh, like I said, January, I think I'll be up and running by the end of the month. Does uh, Datron provide any sort of like uh, 
like hello world program or like something you can run like for the first time just to make sure everything's working up upon receipt yeah just like you guys were probably when you had the brother in the host delivered you have to wait for you know basically you hook up the electrical you hook up the air and then you got to wait for the the tech to come out yeah the tech to come up uh, and he, they get to turn that process yeah, they do the first turn on and uh provisioning of the machine and they'll do some testing and ball bar and all that stuff leveling of the machine so dan's gonna do mine i'm pretty happy about that uh nice igs dan so uh <laughs> that's uh that's that's kind of a special treat so i had like my first parts once the machine's like mine to do what i want with you know once you're done setting it up and saying it's good to go i've got uh like a bunch of three axis parts just to like i said to get the work holding going and then um my first fourth axis part might be trucks for my uh, Daytron longboard. So I saw Mark from Daytron over in Germany. I think he's because um, I'm CNC on Instagram. He ran a set of uh, it's I think it's Saunders design because it said Saunders Machine Works on it. But he ran a, a pair off on his Neo with fourth axis for the Daytron longboard. Um, so it looks like it can be done, in, you know, it's kind of a complicated part, but it can be done in, on fourth axis. And I think he did it in one op. So I'll be talking to him once I'm ready, comfortable with the fourth and see if I can make a pair here. That's pretty cool. I'm super jealous, man. I can't wait to see you run that thing. More exciting is when we get to go over there and make stuff on his machine. It's just going to ruin our lives because we're going to make something in like 30 minutes or 20 minutes and it would have taken us like 10, 12 hours on our machines. It's just going to make you taste that sweet life. Yeah, it's like I'm wondering how that I was kind of thinking the same thing. It's like stuff I've designed that I've never really bothered to try to make on machines I have here just because it take too long. It's like I wonder how long it take on the Neo if it's like practical to make it home. I'm starting to dust off some of those ideas. I still got to, I want to make, you know, like spend at least a couple of weeks just making stuff that's not critical before I uh, start taking any real work on. So, but I'm kind of running out of time because I got real work waiting, right? So, yeah. But uh, I, just, I think I'll have enough time to get some fun stuff run off before I start doing commercial work on it. It's cool. Well, hopefully, I mean, you know, Daytron's like lightning fast, so I'm sure you'll be able to get through their stuff and do some of your stuff at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the training was good. Um, trying to not forget everything I learned. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't strap a GoPro to your head and record everything. No, I mean it's. I think it's pretty intuitive. They're, the control is so easy to use. It's just uh, in the like I have some written documentation I can refresh. Um, other than some maintenance stuff, which I might have to ha ask about again when it comes time to do it. I think I, I'm pretty comfortable. We'll see once I actually to make a part right you think you remember and then you get there and you're like oh what am i supposed to what's the next thing i do <laughs> yeah they actually have a i don't know if you guys saw um dan's uh he, he did like a webinar recently out of the daytron office and i think they were kind of showing off their workstation for doing interactive video um I, i'm not sure exactly what what was going on there but the the first, like his debut video on that was a pretty thorough walkthrough of the workflow on the Neo. So it's like, wow, that was almost like a condensed version of my training. So uh, for setting up a job and, and uh, probing it and running it. So that's pretty cool. I'm glad I stumbled across that. What about you, Winston? You got anything else going on? Not really. This past week, uh, since I flew home back east to uh, visit my dad for Thanksgiving, I've just sort of been catching up. Um, I've got a lot of videos that I've been working on, and I think I've uh, recorded voiceovers for like three or four videos now, gotten out two of them, um, and I've I think I've got like a video a week for like the rest of the year. So I've just been grinding through my uh, my video queue and uh, planning for big things in 2020. So nice. Did, did I ever mention on here that I changed positions at work? Or is that just with you guys? Uh, I think you only mentioned it to us. I mean, I think they know that you've uh, been trying to to weasel your way into to more hands-on stuff. But uh, 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah, uh, I got pulled from design, and I'm now doing all the three-axis programming for EDM Syncer at work. So I design uh, electrodes, and I machine the graphite on our Micron HSM 300, and then eventually the plan is for me to start programming for our rotors and also the Yazda five-axis. Um, I'm set to get hypermill training, I believe, in January or February after we move because we're we're moving to a bigger building in the next two months or so. So it's been hectic at work, but that's kind of like the plan. Is、uh, I'm doing the programming and I've been doing well.、Um, everyone's been happy with the work, and I've learned Mastercam、uh, 2020 in like two days because when everyone's waiting for you to do stuff, you learn things pretty quickly. So I picked it up pretty fast after I figured out how to do everything and.、Um, You know, programming in Mastercam was the same as Fusion. Once I got into the tabs, you know, cut parameters tool, it, it all felt like home. So、um, I learned a lot quicker than I thought it was going to be. So yeah, I'm excited. Things have been going really good at work. Well, congratulations! That sounds like fun,、um, especially if you're going to be running the big machines pretty soon. Those are both five axis, right? I know the Yazda is. I think the the Rotors is too, right?、Uh, our Rotors is only three axis.、Uh, it's a it's a 40k RPM spindle. You really don't need multi-axis with、uh, like EDM stuff because you can only plunge straight down usually. You guys are doing molds on those, though, right? Yeah, yeah. It's super scary because I don't have like somebody to check my work. So like when I program, it, I, I create the setup sheet for the operator, and he just like he just runs that thing. And like if I if I mess up or something goes wrong, and boom, like it's it's my fault. So I'm like literally watching. The simulation two or three times and double checking everything that I possibly think could go wrong just before I release it. Because once I release it, it's it's out of my hands, and that's a very scary feeling for me.、Um, you know, usually you program, you're the one setting up on the machine, you're the one that's watching it. You get your hand on the feed hold. It's it's okay if you catch something, but like now I have no coverage for that. It's just once I release it, it needs to be perfect. Otherwise, something could go wrong, and、uh, that'd be bad for everybody. So. How large are these、uh, electrodes that you're making toolpaths for?、Uh, they kind of vary.、Um, I made a really tiny one that was maybe like three、uh, sixteenths wide, and then I made a kind of a big one that was two inches wide. It kind of just varies depending on what we're doing.、Um, we got a bunch of repair work, so that's been kind of fun because these are molds that we may not have made. So making electrodes. For molds, just trying to figure out, getting really good with surfaces and stuff. That's been kind of fun.、Um, that's something that I've been kind of weak at. So, this is the perfect kind of stuff for me to get better at.、Um, yeah, I don't know. Kind of varies. And graphite machines like butter, so it's it's not really hard, especially when you have a micron to go in there and just do its thing. I don't really need to worry about, you know, speed、uh, feeds and speeds reducing or anything like that. I just kind of go full steam ahead, and it comes out. Pretty good. The cool thing is, I'm also the CMM operator and programmer. So, like, once they're done machining the electrode, I put it on the CMM and I measure it, and I can check my work to see how close I am to tolerance. And so far, I've been within half a、uh, five tenths to a thou every time. And we want to be,、uh, you know, between、uh, three to five thousands for that's our orbital burn setting. So. That's kind of like how much smaller we make the electrode so that it can burn and stuff. So without getting too into it,、um, the one thousand totally fine. But yeah, yeah, it's been fun. That's sweet. You know, pretty soon we're gonna have to change the intro because、uh, you're not gonna be a hobby machinist anymore. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. This is it's crazy. Like I just started this year. This is insane. I have, I have no idea what's going on right now. I'm just kind of going with it. So we'll see where it takes me. Are you?、Uh... Have any temptation to go find a used EDM machine for the garage? You know they're they're a hassle, man. Like the the coolant, the fluid,、uh, you know, all that stuff is very difficult to manage. So I don't know. I'm I'm kind of right now. What I'm trying to do is get in good with everybody, and then maybe when the machine's not running, I can sneak something in there. But we'll, we'll see how that goes. Y'all have a wire EDM there too. Yeah, wire EDM. He actually wants me to tackle that as well, but、um, after we kind of get all this other stuff situated, so he wants me to figure out and learn how to program the wire EDM as well, just in case. So I'm basically we have this section of our machine shop, which is wire EDM, synchro EDM, the graphite, and the Yazda and the rotors. So now I'm a part of that crew, that machine crew. 
and then I have an operator that works with me. And then I have one other guy that does the five axis programming who's teaching me. So the three of us kind of are in charge of running majority of those machines. We have one uh, full-time YRDM guy. So we kind of, me and the other programmer, we program for the whole department now. So we're splitting the work and he's teaching me and slowly pulling me in to do the more difficult stuff. So it's been good, man. The guy who's uh, working with me, he's super smart. He's been there forever and a uh, really patient teacher. So I'm really appreciative that he's uh, open-minded to teaching me. I know a lot of people sometimes aren't that open-minded, especially when it's like this young 30-year-old kid coming in here trying to like learn everything. So yeah, it's been good. Are you getting to learn any of the uh, automation that they have on those machines? The automation? Yeah, I, from what I've seen, it wasn't too difficult. Like I watched them program it, it wasn't hard. I mean, as far as like custom automation, are you talking about like the palette changer stuff? Yeah, I was thinking you guys, there's a palette changer on the electro uh, CNC machine, right? Just... Yeah, super, it's pretty easy to program. It's all kind of preset in there. We, we have like a setup routine. You can punch in the numbers and it'll pick up the, the palette and switch it out. We have plans to open uh, automation department to do maybe six axis, like, you know, KUKA robot stuff, UART 10, to pull parts off the molds. But um, I'm not sure how we're going to get there because that's like a whole different thing. We're going to need a whole crew of people to do that. I'm not sure when we're going to start that, but he wants to start getting into that full automation stuff. Basically, uh, we're going to offer turnkey solutions. So um, we'll buy a new machine. We'll make the customer's mold. We'll put it in there. We'll test it. We'll run it. The parts will be made on it. And we'll basically save the settings, attach the cell for the automation. And then that machine just gets loaded on a truck and shipped to the customer. So then when they arrive, it's just plant it down, put hook it in, turn it on and get going. Because uh, a lot of people have been asking for that kind of setup to buy turnkey solutions because they don't want to install the mold you know he, turn it on figure it out even if we give them a setup sheet there's still a lot of process involved so they want to minimize that by providing these turnkey solutions so that's kind of what we're turning to now yeah they just want to make the part crank the parts out right yeah they just want to here's a check give me the thing that makes this money and then you know move on they don't want to sit there and try to figure it out so yeah it's been pretty cool very neat how about you, Winston? Anything uh, new going on in the, the C3D? Um, well, I guess I can talk about it here because our audience is pretty small. But uh, for anyone who's uh, visited the forums lately, there is a community contest going on. Um, the theme of this season's contest is to make a, a tool holder slash collet holder organizer, whatever. And uh, among the other swag prizes that uh, are available. Um, there is also the chance to win one of the new accessories that we're coming out with, which is a tool length uh, probe. So basically like how the Nomad, you can load in a tool, measure its length, uh, machine something, and then swap in a new tool. It'll remeasure the length, adjust for the Z height difference, and continue machining where it left off. Um, that capability is coming to the Shapeoko it should make a lot of people's lives a lot easier. Um, so I've sort of just been eyeing that on the side, and uh, I'm really I'm just glad that I haven't spilled the beans on this sooner, because uh, with probably one of the most public machines uh, on the internet, it, there, there was a good chance that a glimpse here and there might have slipped out, and actually I know uh, it has, but no one's caught on to it and figured out what exactly we were up to until now. So um, that's that's the new and exciting thing that's happening right now. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to make some more content showing that off. And uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I saw that contest challenge and I was like, oh, my, do you remember that thing I made, the tool holder with the rotating carousel? Yeah, it looked like a, a mini Haas carousel for tools or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to submit that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. To that contest thing, yeah. Yeah, it's good. The Shapeoku is getting some, getting some love lately. As soon as we had Luke, we just crammed all of our ideas like like down his throat and was like, come up with solutions for like each of these pain points. And uh, this is this is one of the big ones. So uh, I, I'm excited. I think it really um, will a make people's lives a lot easier, and b also make it just a little more foolproof um, because it comes with an upgrade to Carbide Motion. Uh, we've updated it so that it will uh, explicitly prompt you to like turn off the router, set the speed, whatever, 
and uh, so hopefully, it, I mean, you can't make it foolproof, but I think the uh, the net result is going to be just a little better and uh, more user friendly. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's liable to change, but um, good things are happening. It's very exciting. So I've been doing a lot of modeling this last week in Fusion. So you guys, I guess you guys are kind of up to speed on the the licensing changes they've been making in Fusion. I would not say we're up to speed, but we're aware of them because the uh, the situation has sort of like, it's just been changing every week. Every new update has been like, oh, now you have to do this. Now you have to migrate to a team. A lot's been happening in the background lately. Yeah, and I think, you know, there was some hints at fusion academy i think even au last year that they were going to be you know paying a little more attention to the license and um or enforcing the terms of it i guess right and i think they tightened up the terms a little bit uh, especially around what's considered a startup and now there's a pretty clear wall between the free licenses and the paid licenses and what you can and how those users can interact with each other so i mean i kind of understand where they're going it sounds like you know, they're making it a little harder to cheat if you were trying to use a free license and doing commercial work that exceeded the limits of what you're allowed to do with the startup license. So they're just basically, you know, the restrictions were there in the license terms, and now they're kind of technically enforcing some of those. So I, I kind of, I get what they're doing. Um, I know it's been a source of frustration to some users who didn't really understand like why the, something that used to work doesn't work anymore, right? Especially the collaboration features. Um, but yeah, I'm still trying to get my head around everything. It didn't really affect me because I'm I have yet to uh, kind of run into a user that's, that's on a free license that where we're trying to work together. But I have done that in the past, so I, I would expect it might come up. But the good news about Fusion is they're doing the generative design. Uh, like we were, remember, I think that was like our number one wish list item when we were. Fusion Academy was, uh, we wish that we had access to generative design, right? Without a lot of expense, at least just play around with it, even if not on a permanent basis. So it looks like Autodesk listened to everybody that was saying that. And, uh, they were giving, a about a month and a half of free access to generative design. I think through the end of the year, basically you can use it and generate design studies and actually download them, um, into modeler for no charge. Normally that takes cloud credits to do that so yeah i think it cost you at least 125 bucks or something to get something usable out of it yes yes and uh so now you can kind of play around with it i don't know if this is like if they're ever going to do this again um because actually the timing was not great for me <laughs> uh so i don't know if i'll get to, i'm going to try to mess around with it a little bit I, i'd actually started to uh go through one of the tutorials before they even had the free this free um promo that they're doing I uh, went through one of the video tutorials and I'd, I might just go ahead and finish that now that I can actually submit it and play around some of the settings. But uh, I wanted to do the the truck for my longboard, but I, just don't, I think I'll run into the December 31st deadline before I'm done with that. So, And that's a real part right? that I need to make. So I don't know what happens after December 31st. Even if I had successfully generated it, I wouldn't know if I could still use it or access the model. So anyway, I'm still hoping you guys get time to play around with it before the deadline i have been trying to just cram on tutorials um like since i don't have access to a cnc this week i am gonna try and like generate something but i really don't know what because a lot of the tutorials they're like simple things like a shelf bracket or like really simple structural elements to some arbitrary thing and i want to make something that's not useless or a paperweight I'm just having a hard time coming up with something in my everyday life that would benefit from generative design. I'd suggest, you know, you did the, uh, I can't remember what you're calling with the kind of the space frame shape, Oko. Maybe take that extrusion and see what generative design would do with it. That's an interesting idea. It's especially limiting because I have to work within the volume of that extrusion. So it has to be within that wall structure. Yeah, you can define that. Um, you basically can set like the outer boundaries and no, like no goes up. Yeah, there are keep out regions that you can, yeah. Yeah, and I would just kind of use the edges 
and thicken them up a little bit and let it go to go to town on the on the in, not the interior but the face um yeah i don't know if it would if you'd end up with something a little stronger you'd have to set all the kind of simulation stuff the load and all that stuff i'm trying to recall what kind of load conditions they had i know you can apply uh pressures to faces uh moments i'm trying to think of what's a what are some load conditions i can throw onto the rail to simulate like cutting forces and i think just on the angular faces of the uh the v rails i can just apply like large pressures either all pushing axially like in the y positive direction or uh negative uh y assuming the rail is oriented like left to right um axial along x um or potentially the top rail going positive y bottom rail going negative y sort of simulate a moment um but no that that's actually a really good idea huh that'd be interesting to see what it spits out yeah just don't forget to set the uh process to probably three axis right for i got to imagine because the the extrusion is only five millimeters thick that uh, you're not going to see a lot of like 3d-ness to whatever it generates and you can also yeah you can set it so that it's machinable on a three axis I, I actually have this part that I was thinking about, but the problem is I'm pretty sure whatever it generates is not going to work just because of cosmetically, like that steering damper bracket for the motorcycle from the 80s. I can't imagine anything it's spitting out is going to work like thematically with the bike. It can't be too crazy because it's something from the 80s. It's got to be kind of blocky in that, in that nature. So that was the only part I could think of that I would throw it in there, but I'm pretty sure whatever it spits out is not going to work. Well, some of those strategies are like meant for like 2.5D machining. You can really sort of bring down the uh, the the organic uh, aesthetic of generative and make it look like a part you could make on a bridge port almost. If if I get a chance to try, that probably be the part that I would try because I, I think that'd be kind of cool. But I don't know if people would want to buy that if it looks all you know spaced out and stuff. But I mean, it's if, it's if, now or never. And in theory, you can just learn how to do it, like set it up and just let it run overnight. And it's not going to cost you anything except the time it takes to learn generative. Did you guys also notice that you have like unlimited cloud credits right now? Or is that just me? I don't know. I was able to buy that manufacturing package with the steep and shallow or whatever. And kind of... No charge? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, really? No charge. My Fusion account had like... They had like nine, 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 nine credits. And I was like, what? And I just bought the manufacturing extension. Does this mean I can render anything I want? I don't know, man. It's crazy. So I've been trying to play around with whole recognition and um, steep and shallow strategies and stuff like that. You don't see generative design as one of your options in future? Yeah, I don't see generative design. So yeah, we should. that's a good time to mention. I think, um, I know if you're on an education license, you don't, you're not included in that uh it's not really a trial, but the, the free access for the rest of the year, that was for some reason they excluded the education license people, but uh, everyone else gets it. Even personal, personal license, you get it for even though it's free. So like when I had a free account, I used to see unlimited cloud credits on when I had the startup license before I was paying for it. So I, I don't know if that's just kind of how they were, but I could only use them for rendering. I couldn't, um, Maybe simulation. I never tried it, but I could not use it for like the manufacturing add-ons. So I just checked. I can't purchase the manufacturing extensions. Uh, it's showing zero credits there. So maybe they, they plug that hole. So did you guys uh, score anything CNC-wise on Black Friday? <laughs> I wish. I don't think I... That's a lie. Um, I purchased uh nipex pliers wrenches today um that's about it at least as far as like oh no that that's i lied again i did buy a dewalt uh cordless blower um, with the intent of using it as a uh, prefabricated edf so maybe i could mount it on my longboard and use that to propel me around the neighborhood um, <laughs> and that those two or all I purchased. No, I, I didn't see any super crazy good deals or anything. So I, this it's like uh, this year's 
Black Friday I thought was kind of weak, but it's been like that for a while, so I'm not, not too surprised. Nothing really caught my eye. Yeah, other than the orange vice, I, I just I bought torque wrenches, <laughs> so I got a, and some Vera tools. Vera, how do you say that, Vera? So, oh yeah, yeah, just in, slowly increasing my uh, German tool assortment here. That little uh, torque wrench thing has been on my radar though, so you let me know how that goes. Oh, the Sandvik one. Yeah, the Sandvik one. Yeah, I think that I don't know who makes it. Um, it ships with the like the. The bit holder is Vera, so I, I don't know if that, but that doesn't look like any of the torque wrenches I've seen in the Vera catalog. Yeah, that's the one uh, John Grimsmo, I think he did a video on it or story, but uh, yeah, it's, it's for like, it's real small. I think it goes up to 15 Newton meters. It's perfect for for the Neo, because I have like a nine, I think 9.5 Newton meter torque limit on the on anything that bolts to the table. So I wanted to make sure I had to, didn't have a gorilla wrench <laughs> end up pulling one of those conicals out of the table. Um, so that's what that one's going to be for. And then I got the a larger, just regular, I think a 20 to 100 Newton meter for um, tightening the vise. Hold on. I got to convert that to foot pounds because I don't understand those units. All right. Like about six and a half foot pounds, seven. Yeah. Seven, I think sounds about right for 9.5. When you go to uh, Saunders, Eddie, <clears throat> can you find out if their Fanuc machine runs on a 31i controller? Um, as far as I know, they have a Fanuc machine. <laughs> it's a Japanese company, right? If it's Japanese, it's pronounced Fanuc. I, I don't, I don't understand the Fanuc. Wars have started over that. <laughs> I know, I, I don't, I don't know, but Japanese pronunciation is Fanuc or a Fanuc, whatever. 31i, um, if, if they happen to have that, let me know. Um, or if anyone listening has a controller or has experience with this controller, uh, please message me because I, I would love to talk to you about it. And I, I want to learn the controller uh, and I would pay to fly out there and shadow somebody or whatever, whatever, whatever it took. So that would be uh, Instagram DM at, at chrislee.design? Yeah. Or any one of us and just forward it to me here. Um, yeah, text me the uh, info and I'll I'll ask when I'm there. Yeah, see if that's what they're cool. using. I think right now they're they're dealing with the spindle issue on the robo drill over there. Yeah, I saw. So I think yeah, it's been kind of a quiet. Uh, you know, I actually stayed out of the shop for Thanksgiving for a few days, spent some time with the wife and just uh, relaxing. So today was like, or yesterday really was my first day back to running uh, running parts, running Johnny Five parts. Oh, uh, Chris, did you ever end up, uh, like, do you still have anything that you're trying to make before the uh, Star Wars premiere? Because I know you backed off on the lightsaber. Yeah, so I have all the stuff. I'm ready to go. I just, the time thing and everything didn't work out. Um, so I'm not going to, I'm probably end up not making it in time, but I'm still planning to go forward with it um, in the future just because, you know, who doesn't want to own a lightsaber that turns on and makes noises and stuff, so... Um, what I've discovered, though, it's it's starting to become less and less CNC, and it seems more like fabrication stuff. You know, there's a lot of just cutting and grinding and like that, and it'd be more work for me to try to fixture that onto the pocket and see because it's like a four-inch tall cylinder. <clears throat> so I might need to figure out what I can fab and what parts inside that I can make. But um, yeah, it's gonna have probably be a next year project. Because um, in the next couple of weeks, I do have customer stuff I need to get back on and uh, personal projects. And now that I've learned Mastercam, I want to do a setup video on how to set up the Pocket NC using Mastercam. So I got a couple things in the works that I want to do before I get into the deep dive of that stuff. But um, I've, I've already committed to, after I finish this little section of client work, I'm going to take a large hiatus for a while from any like personal client stuff not the other thing from pocket and see but anything that's like from instagram i'm going to stop because i need to get back into making my own stuff and doing the things that i want to do so um i'm looking forward to making all the things that i've talked about and we got a lot of work holding stuff to make for the pocket and see between the three of us so I, that's definitely on the first agenda for me because if we had better work holding i wouldn't have to go through all this trouble of making all these weird custom fixtures and stuff so something we should talk about later yep and also uh nomad stuff like the uh, 
excellent kiddie pool and also the vacuum table. So uh, many, many projects. Hey, Chris, do you have access to a, a mill turn machine or, or even a lathe with live tooling? You know, those don't have live tool or they don't even have a, a they don't have a, even a live center or anything like that either. So they're just chuckers. They're just chuckers. Yeah. Well, what were you going to like, if he did have access, were you going to try and get him to make something like what was your, your angle? On the lightsaber, like it seems like that could, if he had live tooling, you could do a large part of the main body with that. It'd be an interesting project actually, but yeah it would just be a lot of custom fixturing because each piece and part is different diameters there's like different features it's like it's a whole lot of work like, honestly it would take me five minutes to go on a grinder grind it out and then a wheel to buff it out and it'd be done with so that's what i'm like going back and forth on it's like yeah it'd be cool to make this a cnc project but it's making my life 10 times harder if i were to just do it as like a fabrication project um but the, the second part of it is the internals. I have a PCB board and I was going to do a lot of stuff out of titanium, but I'm pretty sure you don't want a PCB board attached to a metal base. So I need to come up with some kind of plastic insulator to bolt that onto and put it inside. So that kind of stuff on the internals is probably where the CNC stuff will come into play. Like the mounts for the speakers, uh, the mounts for the PCB board and, you know, things like that. And then everything else will probably be hand fab. So a lot of, like, you know, grinding and cutting and, and polishing and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, putting it all together. I, I already know what I want to make and how I want to make it. It's just uh, time for execution right now. I, I don't have a lot of time. Uh, still working two jobs. So it's kind of rough. And my new jobs got me coming in at five in the morning. So it doesn't make it any easier. You guys want to uh, kind of wrap it up? Um, if we're wrapping up, I would like to just throw out a plea to anyone who's really good with fusion posts, because Chris and I have been having some pocket NC issues, and the the condition that I found that triggers uh, a failed post is a toolpath that starts... Um, so, like, assuming you have like let's just say you have a pyramid on the rotary axis table um, with the point pointing like in positive y if you rotate the part such that the the tip of the pyramid is aligned with the spindle that is uh, a axis 90 uh, b axis zero degrees and then you follow that up with a tool path um, that is uh, a axis zero b axis negative 180 I found that that consistently causes a failed post. And I think the behavior, it, it seems sort of like a virtual gimbal lock condition, um, but I am not sure how to trace that. So if anyone out there in the community is really solid with fusion posts and can uh, sort of take a look at this, let me know. Yeah, like basically if you're, if you're looking at left, top, and right, and you're trying to mill something on the left side and then go 180 to the right, it'll lock up. But if you add an into, uh, Winston came up with this fix where you do like a facing operation in between the two ops so that you're doing it from the top. So then the spindle goes left, top to right. It's only traversing like 45 degree at a time. If it tries to go 180, it just like it errors out. But if you put in a, a fake tool path in the middle to help that transition, then it'll it'll smoothly go through the three. So if anyone can figure out how to manipulate the post so that it doesn't lock up when it's trying to traverse 180 on that axis, on the A axis specifically, that'd be cool. Because right now I'm putting in all these little fake facing operations in between to make it happy, to just to get through the work. So there is, it's not the limit that's in the post, like there's a post setting on the pocket and C post for the A axis. It's like trying to do a move it can't do when there's other moves it can do. So it's just a way of telling the posts like, hey, don't try to do this. Go turn around this way and you'd be fine. You know, like it's like trying to the pocket and C is trying to do a U-turn when it can make a right. I don't know why it keeps trying to do the U-turn when all it needs to, to, to do the, the short right and it'd be fine. So it's just a, it's just a parameter. Yeah. And it specifically centers around, I think, the A-axis, right, Winston? That I think that's the one that gives be, me problems. Yeah. Small stuff. I mean, Winston bailed me out, though, because I was, I was, that thing was like, killing me, man. Like I had to break up my post into multiple tool bags, and then he came up with that 
like fake little toolpath to do that and it worked out so good so i have a template of it now anytime that it gives me that error i post the template i move it in front of the error repost it again it tells me another one and then usually two or three times and then that's it or now that i'm aware of it i'll just reposition my toolpath so that it never transverses 180 it just goes from you know left top to right and to back so it goes in a nice little circle and i've been getting away with that as well and uh, passing through like a manual G-code uh, operation doesn't work because I think it is a pass-through. The post-processor isn't aware that the um, machine orientation has changed. So uh, when it tries to post the toolpath immediately after your inserted G-code, it's still calculating it as though it were starting from the previous toolpath. So it, it still runs into that gimbal lock condition. I tried to stitch... I tried to stitch two separate toolpaths together as well, and the, I didn't have good luck with that either. Yeah, the thing I was thinking of is that that maximum maximum a axis change parameter, but that just controls whether it goes back to the home position before the a axis move, like a, a safe goes to the safe position. Yeah, and I've I've cranked that up to one thirty five, and uh, that hasn't helped. So, yeah, if you guys, um, if one of you guys would send me a project that generates that issue i'll take a look into the post i have just the one for you <laughs> did you already send it winston yeah to, uh, i, I okay. passed it off to the pocket nc team and they said try throwing it to the forum to see if anyone can figure it out there and they'll try and talk to their person who does the post so uh the community will figure this out um but yeah this is definitely on the fusion 360 side okay interesting you guys have anything else you want to talk about next time we meet i should be back from zanesville that should be a good trip yeah i hope you get to lay hands on uh johnny five partially assembled johnny five <laughs> <laughs> you might see my part there too i think i saw my envelope in the pile of things to to unbox did you guys see the current part that they did for johnny five? Oh man that was insane they're still posting yeah still posting some of the machining video up there but um i think uh I don't know when the, oh, I'm sorry. They're posting on Instagram. I haven't, I don't know if the YouTube video is out yet. I think uh, so far that's like the most complicated piece I've seen coming in for Johnny five. I'm glad they gave it to Kern. I feel bad. You know, I watch that and I'm like, can't complain about my part. <laughs> well, <laughs> Hey, look, you want to give me a Kern? I'll take care of that part too. No, no problem. You know, like it, it's, yeah. it's all relative. I'm pretty sure if I had a Kern, I still couldn't have made that part. <laughs> Yeah, they did. They did a great job on that. Um, hopefully, I don't know if it'll be there. I'd like to see it in person if it's there by the time I get over there next week. So, so I'll try to get some pictures of it. I think it says like it, I know they really like finished it well. So it's one of those things you probably don't want to touch. Right? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> mirror finish. Okay, guys, I think I am going to call it a night. It's great talking to you guys. Yeah, I gotta. I gotta wrap it up too because I'm traveling tomorrow. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that when I get back. Sounds good. Good night, guys. Good night. Have a good one.